Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Well, as most of you know, the Southern Baptist Convention was this past week, so I'm not going to take a lot of time this morning to talk about that. But I did want to mention a thing or two because I imagine you've been reading some articles in the newspaper. And so uh, I want you to know that from my perspective, things went much better than I expected them to go. However, my expectations were pretty low going in because there were so many issues we were going to be dealing with. And so by and large, I thought everything went well. Uh, People handled themselves well. Certainly, J.D. Greer did a great job in moderating the entire uh, week of meetings. And uh, our new president, a little bit of a surprise, is a man by the name of Ed Litton. He is a pastor in uh, Alabama, and you may have read several articles about his election, and uh, some of the major newspapers kept referring to him as the moderate candidate. I want to let you know that in my opinion, that is simply not true. Uh, I think they want to paint an image of a Southern Baptist Convention that is divided again as it was back in the 70s and 80s over lines of conservative and liberal, and that is simply not the case. We are a conservative denomination. Are there some more conservative than others? Absolutely. But uh, we are by and large a conservative denomination, and as far as I know, we are going to remain that way. And so it is not a matter of conservative versus liberal. It is a matter of conservatives who disagree over several different things. There was a lot of talk about keeping the main thing the main thing. That is, uh, going back to missions and evangelism and discipleship and focusing on these things as a way of reversing the decline in our denomination on uh, baptisms and membership. And those are actually the very topics we are going to be dealing with in July on our Wednesday nights uh, in July. We'd already decided that before the convention, but uh, it plays right along with that. We're going to talk about those tent poles of the church uh, in our Wednesday night series this year. And I saw more prayer at the convention, I think, than I've ever seen before. Again, largely because uh, there were so many issues coming up that uh, there was so much concern over uh, that we spent uh, multiple times in prayer as a body. And of course, that is a good thing. It is, of course, Father's Day this morning, and so I want to echo what's already been said to our fathers and let you know that we are glad you've chosen to begin your Father's Day here in the house of the Lord. It is a good thing to do every Sunday, and it is a good model to teach your children. And if we're talking about keeping the main thing the main thing, certainly that is the task of the father as well, that a father's role is multifaceted. He is to provide for his children. He is to protect his children. He is certainly to come alongside his wife and parent his children. And he is, of course, to love his children. And along the way, fathers have a lot of advice. And oftentimes that advice is around hobbies or athletics. That is, we want to invest in our children in the things that we love and hope that they love as well. And so we are constantly saying things to them like, look out, pay attention. That's not only in a a warning because something danger might be coming up, but it's also in athletics. Keep your eyes on the ball. Look where you're going. 
We're always saying these kinds of things. And in reality, that's what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks in our study of Colossians. We've been talking about the fact that we need to be aware of those who would come along seeking to lead us astray with false doctrine and ultimately hold us captive. But today in chapter 3, we're going to switch our focus just a little bit. We're not saying any longer, look out. This morning we're saying, look up. Because now we're turning to the positive side of what we've already been dealing with. We've looked at the negative, that is, do not let those who would lead you astray take you captive. And now we turn to the positive counterpart. And this is some wonderful spiritual advice for a father to not only live out, but ultimately to communicate to his children. Something to model and teach. A growing faith, or what we call sanctification. Now, you understand that our faith is not strong immediately. So, for example, if you were converted to Christ in the last year, let's say, your faith, as we would expect, is immature. That is, it's new. That's not to say it's wrong. It just hasn't had the time to grow. But over the course of time, our faith ought to grow stronger and stronger. It'll never be perfect. It'll never be complete. We should never have the idea that we have reached the pinnacle of faith. However, it ought to always be growing, which is what we call sanctification. When we are saved, we are justified. That is, we are made right with God. We are declared righteous before a holy God. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And then after justification, we begin that lifelong journey of sanctification. That process of being made more like the image of Christ. So if you're here this morning as a believer, you are in the process of sanctification. There is no option here. Every genuine believer is on the pathway to sanctification. We may be at different points along the road, but we are all on that road because every believer who has been justified is set on that road of sanctification. And that is what we want to talk about this morning, how we can grow in our faith, how we can be further sanctified. And it is summed up in those two words, which is my title, and that is look up. Now, there's not going to be any outline on the screen this morning. I know you've gotten used to it, but frankly, I was behind this week because I was in Nashville and didn't get it in in time. So you're going to have to listen or maybe jot some things down. But we are in Colossians chapter 3, just four verses this morning, and they are actually easier than the verses we've dealt with the past couple of weeks. That is easy to interpret. They are not so easy to apply. Colossians 3 verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, we're just going to have two points this morning. The first point is going to be basically two commands. And then the second point is going to be the reasons behind those commands. 
Again, if you're a parent, you know that your child always wants to know why. When we tell them what to do, they want to know, but why? And so we're going to look at what we are to do, and then we're going to follow that up by talking about why we are to do it. And so we notice right off the bat here that we are to seek spiritual things. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Obviously, we are halfway through with this book of Colossians. We've talked about the problems that have plagued this congregation. And to sum up what undoubtedly must have been a very complex situation, the Colossian believers were in danger of embracing other forms of religion rather than resting in the sufficiency of Christ. And so last week we talked about three dangers, three forms of false spirituality, legalism, asceticism, and mysticism. Dangers that we are to be aware of because they still exist in our world, and there are many others, and therefore we must be on guard that we not go astray. But in chapter 3, Paul is changing his focus. And if you know anything about the letters of the Apostle Paul, this is his, this is his general way of writing. That is, he spends the first portion, it's not always half and half, but he spends the first portion of his letter in theological foundations. That is, he is laying the, the groundwork for what he's going to encourage or even command us to do. And he always lays this in theological terms. And that's why we've had some difficulty over the past few weeks dealing with some of the theological things that he said. But now in this section, he is transitioning to what we might call the more practical application. And I hate to say it that way because I want you to understand that theology is by its nature practical. So I don't want to set these two things apart from each other. That is, well, this is theology and this is practice. The two always go together. Because as I've said many times, what we believe always comes out in the way we behave. Our theology impacts our practice. But Paul is transitioning here to a more practical admonition of how we are to live our life on the basis of who we are in Christ. And so he gives us two commands in the first two verses of this chapter, which ought to be ongoing realities in the life of every believer. Sanctification involves these things. If we're growing in our relationship and in our knowledge of Christ, then we ought to be seeking spiritual things. Now, obviously, our growth can come in growth spurts. That is, there are times in our lives where we're really growing. There are times in our lives where we're not growing so much. People obviously grow at different rates and in different times. But the fact is that every believer ought to be growing because life is about growth. I mean, either you're alive or you're dead. And if you're alive, you are growing. So he says here, we are to seek spiritual things. And the word seek can be translated as a keep on. That is, keep on seeking. This is not a one-time thing that we put into practice this afternoon and then expect miraculous results. This is something that we must keep doing for all of our lives. And what we are to seek are spiritual things first and foremost. Now, I know we have a lot of other things that are pressing in our lives and in our minds. That we have a lot of things that we seek. A lot of our, our young people, when they begin going to college, they are wondering what they're going to do in life. And I remember my goal when I went to college. I wanted to get a business degree. 
of some sort. I didn't know initially what kind. Ultimately, I got a degree in accounting. But my, my goal when I went to college was to get a business degree and find a job and make as much money as possible so that I could buy the things that I wanted and live the life I wanted and retire eventually in comfort and security. That's the American dream, right? Get as much as you can so that you can enjoy all that you have. But somewhere along the way, those goals and ambitions begin to change when we are converted to Christ and when we begin to seek Him, those are no longer the priority. Now, we may still do some of those things, but they are not the ultimate priority because we come to understand that our spiritual life is more important than all of those things. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? and yet loses his soul. And so we come to understand that spiritual things are more important in our lives, that godly pursuits of our, are of greater priority than all of these other things. And again, we never reach the pinnacle of that. We are always growing. So when Paul says we are to seek the things that are above, he means here that we are to have a definite target for what we are aiming at in our life. Do you have a spiritual target? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, do you have a, a target you're aiming for when it comes to your spiritual life? I know when we go back to the first of the year, we talk about goals and dreams and all of those things. We set resolutions and desire to accomplish things for, for that particular year. But I'm asking you, overall, do you have a target in mind for your spiritual life? I know some of you like to hunt. I've never been a hunter. I've been once or twice. Um, it just didn't appeal to me. I'm not opposed to it, just didn't appeal to me, but some of you hunt. Now, I know a little bit about hunting, and I know, I know how you go about doing it. I also know how you don't go about doing it. In other words, when you go hunting, you don't just sit up in a tree, randomly fire your rifle, hoping that by chance that bullet might wind up in some animal somewhere so that you can uh, kill something. You don't just randomly spray bullets all around the woods and hope that by fate you're going to hit something. No, it's all planned. It's all programmed. You go to great lengths. You find just the right spot, you think. You get in just the right tree. You put on camouflage so that the animal can't see you. You even put some sort of scent on you so the animal can't smell you. And you make sure you're in the right position in the wind so that when you see that animal, you raise your rifle and you've got a scope on that rifle that you've sighted in, you've practiced with it, and then you finally pull the trigger. And that pulling of the trigger is the last step in a well-planned-out process so that you can have the best chance of hitting the target. Now, if we'll go to all of that length when it comes to a sport or a hobby of hunting, don't you think we ought to at least have some targets when it comes to our spiritual lives? I mean, don't you find it ironic that when it comes to all of these other things in our lives, we have plans, we have processes, we have goals, we have ambitions, and yet when it comes to our spiritual lives, often we just think it's going to happen by osmosis, that it's just somehow going to creep into our lives and we don't have to do much about it. And so we just drift along year after year and wonder why we're not growing in our faith. Paul says, no, you've got to have a plan. You've got to seek spiritual things. 
You've got to prioritize this in your life. The process of sanctification, that being gradually shaped into the image of God, is not just going to occur, occur by chance. It's not just going to be fate. You have got to put in some effort here. I'm not saying that you're the one that achieves it. We know that we can't do it apart from Christ and his spirit. But it does take effort on our part. The Bible tells us that we as Christians are citizens of heaven. Not that we will one day be, but in a very real sense that we already are. And on this earth, we are pilgrims passing through this life. And in light of eternity, our lives are very brief. Therefore, while we are here, we must not focus on earthly things, but we must focus on heavenly or spiritual things. The second command, what we are to do, is not only seek spiritual things, but secondly, he says, that we are to seek spiritual thoughts. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. And here he gives the opposite, which was implied in the first, but he states it in the second. Set your minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. Whether you realize it or not, your mind is being shaped by something. We all allow information and philosophies to enter our thoughts over time that reshape the way we think and ultimately then the way we act. So the question is not, is someone or something shaping your mind? The question is, what is that something? And again, many Christians are soaking up false doctrines and false ideas because uh, they don't know what the Word of God says, and so they take in things that are contrary to the Word of God. If we go outside the, the spiritual realm, it's just a matter of all of the information that the world throws at us. We are all bombarded with images day after day. The amount of information that is in front of our eyes on a daily and weekly basis is astonishing. And we ingest all of that whether we know it or not. Whether it's the newspaper we read or the podcast we listen to or the music we download or the websites we frequent, None of these things are necessarily wrong, but they are all having an impact upon our lives and our thoughts. And if that's the majority of what we put in our minds, that is, if we get all of that on a weekly basis, and then we come to church for one hour on Sunday morning, and we have a quiet time for 10 minutes a day, maybe five times a week, is it any wonder that we have a hard time setting our minds on the things above when the vast majority of the things coming into our thoughts are the things from below. You see, the only way to set our minds on things above is to saturate our minds with the things of God, with the Word of God and the truth of God. And this obviously takes discipline on our part. It's not something that happens automatically. We often talk about the fact that God is in control, and He certainly is, but He uses means to grow us, and those means are in part what you're doing this morning, that is setting aside the Lord's Day to hear the Word of God and to fellowship with the people of God. That's a great thing. We also set a time, aside time to read the Word of God and study the Word of God personally. That's a wonderful thing. And these are the kinds of things that allow our minds to be set on things that are above rather than things on the earth. And so we need to read the Word, study the Word, memorize the Word, meditate on the Word, sing the Word, on and on we go. All of these things helping us to focus our minds on the things of Christ. 
Normally, when we think of our thought life, it's a matter of, well, I know I'm not supposed to lust, or I know I'm not supposed to think on those things. But it's not just the negative thoughts we must avoid. It is the positive thoughts that we must embrace. Paul says this in Philippians, that we are to, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just or pure or lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So it's not just about avoiding bad thoughts. It is about consistently practicing good thoughts that is putting in our minds the right things. And this is difficult to do because the world is so filled with other things. It's difficult because we are going against the tide. Now, some of you have already been to the beach this summer, as I have. Some of you will go later on this summer. Some of you won't even get into the water when you're there, as I did not. But if you do get into the water, you know that there's a huge difference between just floating with the current or swimming against the tide. That's a huge difference, right? If you want to go with the current, all you got to do is lay back, and it'll take you wherever it's going. But if for whatever reason you want to go in the opposite direction, you've got to swim hard against the current because you're fighting that direction. And that's the way it is with the Christian life. Everything about the world is leading us in one direction, and yet Paul tells us here, and certainly the Bible tells us elsewhere, that we are to go in the opposite direction. We are to think differently and therefore live differently, and that's going to be difficult because we are going against the tide which means we're going to have to work hard at it and be disciplined at it. This is not going to be easy. Paul says, what are we to do? We are to seek spiritual things. We are to seek spiritual thoughts. We are to make sure that what we think about and what we do are focused on things that are above. Look up. Now, that's not to say that, as some used to say, he's so heavenly-minded that he's no earthly good. That's what some used to say. I don't really think we have that problem anymore. I think our problem is the opposite. We're so focused on earthly things that we have a hard time looking up. But Paul is telling us to look up. Now, again, as any child would say, your answer might be, why? Why is this so important? Why can't I embrace Christ and then just sort of float along with the world and not really make all of this effort to think on spiritual things and have spiritual thoughts? Why can't I just go along and get along? Because that's not what we are called to do, and that's not who we are. We are to be different, not only in our thoughts, but in our behavior. And Paul gives us the reasons here, the motivation. You say, well, am I to do these things so that I can be saved? No, no, this is a product of salvation. We're not thinking spiritual thoughts and seeking spiritual things in order to be saved, but because we are. We are not doing these things so that God might love us more. We've already sung that he is a good father who loves us unconditionally already. We are not doing these things out of manipulation and persuasion because if we do that, it is going to be very temporary. That is, I could put a guilt trip on you this morning by the way I present this, and you could feel convicted, and you could say, yeah, I need to do that, and it might last, if I'm good, till Tuesday. But then you'll just revert back to the old ways. So there's got to be a greater motivation than what I've just mentioned. And what is that motivation? If I'm interested in the long term, what is that motivation? 
Well, that motivation, that why is threefold. Number one, you have a new faith. Now, by that, I do not mean that you were saved last week. I just mean that whenever you were saved, whether that's 80 years ago or eight years ago or eight months ago, when that happened, you have a new faith. Look again at verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, that's a conditional statement, it could actually be translated since. Paul is not questioning their salvation. Well, if you have been saved then, so it really could be translated since. Since you have been raised with Christ, and that's what we've been talking about the last several weeks, and we've pictured that in the image of baptism. That is, we've been buried with Jesus by baptism unto death, which is why he said you have died with Christ. But as a result of that, we've been raised to walk in newness of life. That's one of the reasons we Baptists. It's not the only reason, but one of the reasons we Baptists are intent on immersion as the mode of baptism. Because it best pictures that death to the old way of life and that resurrection to a new way of life. Baptism pictures that union with Christ for us. So we are to seek spiritual things and spiritual thoughts because when we were converted to Christ, a radical change has taken place in our life. We've been given a new faith. And that new faith ought to be evident by a new way of life. In a very real sense, you have indeed died to the things of the world. Now, you've not been taken out of the world, obviously. In fact, Jesus says, no, I'm going to leave you in the world so that you can be a light to the world. So you've not been taken out of the world. You're still living in the world. And in very many ways, we still look like everybody else in the world. But we have a new faith which makes us different. And therefore, we're to have a radically different way of thinking and a radically different way of life. And this is often not very discernible, especially in the Bible belt in which we live. Because so many people profess faith in Christ. But is that because we live in a moral and ethical society? That is, is there not a lot of difference in a Christian and a non-Christian in the South because we live in such a moral and ethical society? I don't think so. Or is it because we're simply not living as Christians in the radical way that our new faith calls us to live? Being raised with Christ is not just some theological notion that means nothing practically. It means everything. Because the death and resurrection of Christ are the foundation of our new faith. And when we realize that spiritually we have died to Christ and we have been raised to live a new life, again, as symbolized by baptism, it motivates us then to seek spiritual things and spiritual thoughts. Because we have a new faith. And that new faith results in a new life. Secondly, verse 3, we have a new focus. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your new focus is Christ. He goes on to say, who is our life? This is the only spot in the New Testament where we are said to be hidden with God in Christ. I think it has a, a picture of security and safety. In your new faith, God has now hidden you in Christ so that no one or nothing can get to you. And Jesus says the same thing elsewhere. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. And so he is giving us security and safety so that we can then say, Christ, who is our life? I love that phrase. When Christ, who is our life? What is your life? 
I hear people use that phrase sometimes. They'll say, you know, an athlete will say, you know, baseball, that, baseball's my life. Or a, or a mother will say, you know, I just got to be honest, my children are my life. Or maybe a dad will say, my career is my life. Those are all important things. Don't misunderstand me. But as a believer, none of those things should be your life. You should not be saying, blank is my life in any of the things that I just mentioned. You ought to be able to say, Christ, who is my life? This is the most important thing in our life. And more than that, it is our very life. When we understand that Christ is the source and power of our new life, there is no other option but to allow him to continually work within us to make us more like Jesus. And that is what Paul is talking about here. That we have a new faith, and that new faith brings a new focus, that Christ is now our life. None of these other secondary things are our life. Our priority, our very essence, our very being is our relationship and union with Christ which then leads thirdly to the understanding that we have a new focus. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. We have a new future awaiting us. We may bemoan the present. We may wonder why God allows the things to come into our life that he does now. We may be very frustrated and disappointed over how much we fail and sin. But none of that changes the fact that we have a new future. When Christ appears in his glory, we will appear in glory with him. There will come a day when all of this will be ultimately revealed. Or as Paul says elsewhere, there will come a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it will be on that day when his glory will be revealed and that we will live in glory with him. Now, that's not to say that our glory will match his. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying we will somehow participate in the very glory of Christ in that day because we are one of his. So these are the reasons why we seek spiritual things and seek spiritual thoughts. Because we have a new faith in Christ which gives us a, a new focus. He is our life. And ultimately, we have the promise of a new future. We are going to experience the glory that is Christ, which is why Paul could say, I imagine that the sufferings of this present time cannot compare to the glory which shall be revealed in and through us. So what direction are you heading in life? Where are you going? What is your aim? What is your purpose? Are you growing in your relationship with the Lord? Are you prioritizing your own sanctification so that you are seeking? And again, that's not a one-time thing. That's a continual process, seeking spiritual things and seeking spiritual thoughts. Are you anchoring your life and who you are in Christ rather than what your career is or your family or, or anything else? Now, again, granted, we all grow at different paces, but we all ought to be growing. I don't know how many of you have, have uh, climbed to the top of, or hiked to the top of Mount Lacan. I've done it twice. But when you hike a, a mountain, you don't look at the peak and then just go straight up. It's not a straight line up to the top of the mountain. There's trails. And those trails are not always up. Some of them are, obviously. That is, there are times on the trail, if you're going to go from this low point to this high point, there's going to be times that you have to go up, you have to ascend. 
But there's also times on that trail where the trail levels out. There's actually times on the trail when though you're heading to the peak of the, of the mountain, you're actually descending on the trail. Sometimes you have to go down in order to get up. And that's the way sanctification is. That's the way the process of growth and growth in the Christian life is. Sometimes you're going straight up. That is, you're making some real progress in growth. Sometimes you just sort of leveled out and you can't see much of any progress right now. And sometimes, to be quite honest, we're going backwards. We're descending. But then God brings us out of that and we start ascending again so that ultimately we can get to that peak. So I don't know where you are in that process. I don't know where you are on that continuum. But I hope as a believer you understand that we are to be growing in our relationship with the Lord. And the only way for that to happen is if we make it a priority. If we seek spiritual things and seek spiritual thoughts on the basis of the fact that we have a new faith and a new focus and ultimately a new future that is so glorious I can't even describe it this morning. That's what we ought to be living and modeling. And as moms and dads, that's what we ought to be teaching our children. That this is the priority in life. Look up. Seek the things that are above. Let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to be here in your house on your Lord's Day. Grateful that you are a good father to us. You love us unconditionally and provide for us so generously. You protect us because our life is hidden with Christ in God. I pray now that we would come to understand our, our need to, to pursue you, to seek you earnestly and urgently, to make this a priority, the priority of our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would convict those who need convicting that you've not been their priority. For those who have perhaps been in a in a backward descent for some time, that you would help them to turn around and start ascending once again as they seek you above all else. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing and you respond.